Welcome to Legalese, Business Disability Forum legal podcasts, making the complex comprehensible. I'm Bella Gore, and today our podcast is Positive and Proactive Recruitment of Disabled People. My guest is Catherine Cassily, Barrister at Cloisters Chambers, who specialises in equality and human rights cases with a particular emphasis on disability. So we'll be talking today about questions that we are asked most often by employers uh, about recruitment and tackling some of the myths and misconceptions and misinformation about hiring disabled people. Our topics for discussion will include positive action and positive discrimination. What's the difference? And more importantly, what's legal and what's not? And also, what is meant by minimum or essential criteria for a job? What does that mean and can it exclude disabled people? A few things there. But first, Cathy, um, if I may call you that, because we go back quite a long way. Let's start with positive discrimination. What's meant by positive discrimination? And I've often seen it written that positive discrimination is unlawful. Is that entirely true? Positive discrimination is when you treat someone more favourably because they have a what's called a protected characteristic. So to give you an example, um, you give someone a job because they are a woman uh, as opposed to giving the job to a man. And that is unlawful unless you're dealing with someone who has a disability. Tell me more about disability. The, the way that the Equality Act works is that what it says is that you can't treat someone unfavourably because they have one of the protected characteristics that is set out in the Act. So because of their race or their gender or their religion, mm-hmm. age, etc. What it does say, though, is that if you are not disabled... You can't complain if someone has treated a disabled person more favourably. Right, so as far as disability is concerned, the Equality Act is asymmetric. Only disabled people can bring a claim for disability discrimination. Whereas in gender, for example, gender covers both men and women. So either could bring a claim if a man was appointed in favour of a woman or a woman was appointed in favour of a man. Yes. The only only other category that's like that is pregnancy discrimination. Right. So positive discrimination in favour of disabled people is lawful. Yes. That's good. Is that true for every employer? Um, Because... Does that mean that any and every employer could say, this job is open only to disabled candidates? Yes. I'm heading towards Section 7, is that right, of the um, Local Government and Housing Act. You knew I was going to ask you about this. (laughs) Yes, I had a feeling you might go there. Yes, Section 7 says that local authorities, local authorities rather, specifically, have to appoint on merit. And it was one of the issues that came up in the case of Archibald and Fife, mm-hmm. which is, as listeners will probably be aware, and as you will obviously be aware, um, was the case that went to the House of Lords about reasonable adjustments and was the first case really that looked in any detail at the reasonable adjustment duty. The point of 
point, to my knowledge, hasn't really been looked at in any depth since Archibald, and Archibald was about reasonable adjustments and about transferring someone, um, and Section 7 yes, is subject to the reasonable adjustment duty. Just to remind listeners, so in that case, Mrs Archibald was no longer able to do her job as a street cleaner, so she needed to be transferred to a suitable alternative vacancy, redeployed, as people often say, and that's a reasonable adjustment. And there was an argument that Fife Council raised that they couldn't simply slot her into um, a desk-based job because that was at a higher grade than she had been as a street cleaner because of Section 7 and they had to appoint on merit. And what, what did the House of Lords say? Well, the, the House of Lords said in that case there was nothing to stop them from slotting her into that vacancy at all. But that wasn't in, in any way in breach of Section 7. Because reasonable adjustments trump Section 7? Yes. So if the authority is making a reasonable adjustment, then Section 7 um, doesn't apply. But what does that mean if somebody's, if a local authority wants to just hire a disabled person, so they say these jobs are open only to disabled candidates, is there a possibility of saying that Section 7 applies there to say that they can't do that because that's not a merit? Well, I mean, I think a, a local authority might might argue that appointment in those circumstances wasn't simply on merit, it would, it would be on disability. But ultimately, presumably, you would still be um, appointing on merit. So the best person for the job? Yes. I mean, From a pool of disabled people? Yes. Okay. And just to sort of finish this off, really, if somebody wanted to complain about that, that a local authority had done that, a non-disabled person. They can't bring a claim under the Equality Act because they're not protected. So no. no, their their remedy would presumably have to be a challenge by way of judicial review to argue that the local authority was acting ultra-virus, so they were acting outside of their powers in um, effect, effectively ring-fencing the post for disabled people. And one of the defences, I suppose, a local authority could raise was that they were also following their public sector duty. Well, yes, under, under Section 149, obviously, they have an obligation to promote, uh, amongst other things, to promote disability equality. And saying that these jobs are only open to disabled people would be fulfilling that duty. Um, well, yes, I mean, if, if disabled people are disadvantaged in their, in their area and there was an underrepresentation in the workforce, that's something that they could, they could argue. Excellent. Well, it's good that we've cleared that up because it is something that, that we do get asked. Now, moving on from just having jobs open to disabled candidates, can employers say that this job or these jobs are only open to people with a particular disability? And what we get asked a lot is um, people with autism, for example, or neurodiverse conditions or learning disabilities. Is that lawful? I think there is a difficulty with that because the direct discrimination provisions prohibit discrimination on, on the basis of disability per se. And as we've just been talking about, whilst the provisions in relation to disability are asymmetric, all they do is, is protect disabled people more generally. They don't protect particular disabilities. Okay, so if an employer said we only want candidates with learning disabilities applying for this post, somebody with, say, a visual impairment could say that's disability discrimination. 
yes, it would be open to that person with a visual impairment to bring a claim and to say, I have been treated less favourably because of disability. Okay, so employers can't do that then, lawfully. What? Um, I mean, I, I think what I, what I should say is that there are some differences of opinion in relation to that. That's certainly my view, and I, I think that's probably the majority view. There is, there is, I suspect, a minority view that would say, no, if you take into account you know, public policy aims, um, that, that actually wouldn't, it wouldn't be a breach. Um, but I think it would be. Okay, so it's open to an employer who wants to take the risk yes, to do that. it would be a risk. And a risk that they would be um, sued by somebody with a different disability. Yes. So what advice would you give to an employer who doesn't want to take that risk but does want to um, hire more people with a particular type of disability because they are perhaps underrepresented? Um, well, I, I think the, the first thing, obviously, that, that you can do is ring fence a particular post for disabled people more generally because then at least you're, you're increasing um, disabled people in the workforce. An employer can make sure that they're reaching people with that particular disability and if they're, people with that particular disability are disadvantaged, um, it may be that they're not uh, seeing those vacancies. So perhaps make sure that publications that they read or their organisations are involved. Um, so, for example, if it's people with learning disabilities, make sure that the advertisements are available in easy read. Mm -hmm. um, so, you can take those sorts of measures to make sure that the vacancy is brought to their attention so that that increases the number of applicants that you get from a particular pool. Or work with perhaps disabled people's organisations. Exactly. Um, for the people who might have stopped even looking for work. Yes. Uh, because they've been out of work for so long. Yes. Is that positive action or is that something different under the, in the law? Positive action is set out specifically in the Equality Act. There are some very particular provisions around positive action and, and that enables employers to take specific steps to increase um, people, for example, with particular disabilities in their workforce, but it's very particular. Is this the tie-break thing? Yes, it is the tie-break thing. Right, can you explain the tie-break? What the Equality Act says is that if you have two candidates for a job and they are as qualified as each other um, and you don't have a policy that relates to, let, let's say it's people, people with a particular disability, let's say it's, it's people with a learning disability, um, and if they're, um, if they're at a particular disadvantage or their participation in, let's say, a training scheme is particularly low, if they're as, as qualified as each other, if you don't have a policy that you're going to recruit them, um, and it's a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim, then you can appoint them. So that's the tie-break provision. That's as clear as mud, Kathy. <laughs> well, so you've got two people yeah. who are equally qualified for the job. Yeah. One doesn't have a particular disability. Yeah. And another does have. So say one person 
doesn't have a learning disability and yeah. one person does have a learning disability. Yeah. And if you want to take positive action, you can appoint the person with the learning disability and that's positive action and that's lawful. Yes, as long as you meet the, the three criteria. So as long as they're equally well qualified, as long as you don't have an underlying policy of doing that. Right. And as long as those steps that you're, that you're taking, i.e. appointing someone in that situation, is a proportionate means of increasing their participation in your workforce. How likely is it in the real world that this is going to happen? Well, I suspect not very often. Um, it, it's quite tortuous, unfortunately. It, it does sound that way, but yes. you, you have now given us a definition of positive action. <laughs> yes. That is, that, that is good. Thank you for that. Can I just say, I mean, I think one of the things about disability is that employers don't have to go through that with disabled employees as a whole. Right, because they, they, can take, they can actually positively discriminate in favour of disabled people generally. Exactly. As we so, said. Yeah. Yes, so they don't have to worry about that. And that's the... We should clear one thing up, though, in that um, an employer can hire someone with a particular disability or indeed another protected characteristic if it's a requirement of the job to have that yes, characteristic. Yes, of course. Yes. So that would be... Um, the example that's always given is women in female changing rooms. Yes. Um, and in a disability context, what would that be? I mean, I suppose it could be one of the disability organisations, uh, disabled people's organisations. Yes. Um, who are promoting employment, perhaps, for people with that disability. So the RNIB, perhaps, could do that if they said that the experience of a visual impairment is a, is a requirement of the job. Yes, and I think people first, the learning disability organisation, um, want um, want their organisation to be staffed by people with lived experience of learning disability. So that would be a criteria for the job. Right, and that is perfectly lawful. Yes. Okay, so that um, whole tie-break thing, if we go back to it, brings us on to minimum criteria for a job or essential criteria for a job, as it's sometimes called. When job descriptions are being written, you often see the essential criteria for this job is, and then the desirable criteria for this job is. Do employers have to do that? I mean, to have essential and desirable. Could they just have just essential? Employers can have whatever criteria they want for a job. Obviously, the, the advantage of writing down the, the criteria that you have is that you have a, a way of measuring what your applicants can do against what the job requires. And the reason I think most employers have desirable is it, it, it's a way of filtering people out when they meet the essential criteria. How does that work with guaranteed interview schemes and disability confident? Well, as long as disabled people meet the essential criteria, then they should be interviewed. That's what the schemes say. Right, so this is the government's disability confidence scheme, and if you make a commitment to be disability confident as an employer, you have to guarantee an interview 
to any disabled candidate who meets the essential or minimum, I think is the, is the terminology used, criteria for the role. So this came up um, most recently in the case of BT and Myers, a Northern Irish case, um, which was about uh, somebody who wanted uh, a guaranteed interview. Mr Myers um, had a, a variety of disabilities, neurodiverse conditions, um, including autism, which I think is the relevant disability in, in this case. So tell us a bit more about Myers. Yes, well, he applied under the guaranteed interview scheme, in effect. So he, in effect, should have been put through to the interview scheme. But there was a test that applicants were asked to undergo before interview. And, in effect, he had to do that. And he had difficulties with it because of his disability. Yeah. Now, if I remember rightly, the test required him to exercise his judgment. It gave a number of hypothetical scenarios. What would you do if X happened? Yes. And he um, knew that that would be particularly difficult for him, so he scored very badly yes. in the test. And because he scored badly in the test, he wasn't put through to the people making a decision on whether or not to interview him at all. Um, so there was no consideration on whether he met the minimum criteria because he had failed the test. And in fact, that's the scenario is very like the Brooks and Government Legal Service, which is the the other case involving tests and someone with autism, so a very similar situation to that. Yeah, that's right. So it was a failure of process, really, on the employer's part here, because they should have made a reasonable adjustment, but not requiring him to take the test. Yes, and they should have put him straight through to the interview. I think the learning for employers in this case is that if you are offering a guaranteed interview scheme, or indeed if you just want to be an inclusive employer, is be careful of when you make candidates take a test. If you make people take a test prior to them being considered for an interview and whether or not they meet the minimum criteria, there is a risk that you will exclude certain disabled people. And in fact, I think in this case, the test provider themselves did say that there is a possibility that some people um, will not be able to take the test and a reasonable adjustment should be made in those situations to bypass the test and actually just consider them for an interview, um, just consider whether they meet the minimum criteria. Yes, so I think it's important to, for employers to remember that any sort of screening process is just as much a part of the recruitment process as any other aspect and is subject to the duty to make adjustments. One of the things that we get um, asked about, and this is the point I was raising at the beginning, of do does minimum criteria actually work against disabled people getting jobs and the reason I wanted to ask you about this is that we have some members of Business Disability Forum who are organisations that lots of people want to work for. Jobs are in short supply in that industry so if they have any sort of vacancy whether that's an um, administrative role or a catering role they will get a great many applicants, people with PhDs sometimes will be applying for those roles because they want to get a toehold into that industry. Um, what we get told is that what happens then is that they get lots of people who meet not just the minimum criteria but the desirable criteria and some. You've got people with you know PhDs in medieval history and speak 15 languages, I exaggerate, but you get my drift. Mm. Yeah. That means that a disabled person who might be might have been out of work for mm. some time, who could do the job, 
or could be trained to do the job and does meet the minimum criteria will not actually be appointed because they won't meet the desirable criteria or you will have a lot of other candidates who meet both the minimum and the desirable mm. and therefore they're excluded from jobs that they could do. What, what would you say to an employer who's saying that this is an issue they have? I think in those circumstances, and obviously there is competition for jobs, but the answer would probably be to ring fence the job for disabled applicants only. So we're back to positive discrimination. So action that an employer could take is ring fence certain jobs just for disabled applicants. Yes. Although not just for applicants with a particular type of disability. No, not unless they want to take a risk. Thank you very much for that, Cathy. That's been really interesting and hopefully has clarified a few things for people listening because I know these are questions that we get asked so often.